how do you price an ad on your channel? That's probably the most common question we get from other creators. And it was the biggest question we had when we first started on YouTube. So we're hosting a live workshop on how to price yourself. This is everything that we've learned in the past 13 years of being on YouTube and our simple three-step process that'll help you develop concrete pricing. So if you wanna join us for this live session, just go to colinandsamir.com slash live. Enter your email and you'll get all the information about our live event on May 9th. All right, hope you enjoy this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. The world won't favor me if I lean away from my culture, so I'm going to do the other thing and, like, lean into my culture. It's like you're looking for, like, idols who look like you. It's like, oh, there's nobody. Today on The Colin and Samir Podcast, we talk to My Lynn Wynn. My Lynn is a producer and content creator with Jake Paul's Team 10. Now, whatever your opinion is on Jake Paul, one thing that really fascinates Colin and I is that he affects the global culture. He's amassed a huge audience on YouTube and across all of his social platforms. And it's just really interesting when you have a creator of that size and we get some insights from Mylin on what it's like working with Team 10 and how she even got into that position. We also talked to Mylin about culture. Mylin spends a lot of her time advocating for Asian Americans in entertainment and it's actually how we met. She sent me a cold email and asked if I would be a part of a photo project that profiled Asian Americans in entertainment. Every time I talk to her, I feel extremely inspired. So I think you guys will really enjoy this conversation with Mylin Nguyen. All right, we are here in the studio and we are joined by Mylin. Hey, what's up? What's happening, Mylin? Uh, not much. Just chilling with you guys. <laughs> that is uh, 100% accurate. That's exactly what we're doing. And before we pressed record, we were actually all just talking about the Dax Shepard podcast, which, which is, is called uh, Armchair, Armchair Expert. Expert. Yeah. yeah. It's so good. To, to be honest, where we are sitting right now is loosely inspired by the photography I've seen or of how Dax oh, sets how up. Oh, just that setup. Yeah. Yeah. They like sit on chairs and couches in his attic and he's always talking about the space. And I just think like he makes his guests really comfortable. It's really yeah. cool. Minus that bathroom that he's always talking about. Yes. Yes. So if you don't listen to that podcast, check it out. It's called Armchair Expert. Um, but on this podcast, we are going to be talking to Mylin about working on working with YouTubers and I think specifically her journey to get there, which okay. is fascinating to me. We met through a cold email you sent us Yeah. Um, about doing photography, which we ended up doing right here, right behind us. Yeah. For um, every year, I do a series on my Instagram during May, which is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, where I show like other Asian people working in media just because we are very uh, underrepresented. Yeah, and I, I, I really connect with you on that. Um, I was reading your article on your website, and I have so many notes um, about that, but I want to back up for our audience and just get to you know, know you a little bit better and get sure. to know your, your origin story. Um, in the article I read on your website, you talk about, you know, going 10 months without work. I think that was in 2016. Yeah. And talk about working at Target. Today, you work for Team 10, correct? Yeah. So Team 10 and Jake Paul, yeah. B- bring us up to speed because, you know, you, you were very young when you ended up moving into working uh, in media. Yeah. How did, this, how did this all happen? How did you end up working um, with, with So YouTubers? even though I tell kids all the time, I was like, oh, you should definitely go to college. Um, I say that you should go to school if you're not proactive enough to like find your own way. But 
Um, when I was like 19, I was interning with the Fine Brothers, which at the time was like, I want to say like top 10 like US subscribed YouTube channels. And I worked um, as a PA on the second season of their scripted series, My Music, which was actually the first series ever shot in the YouTube space LA because the YouTube space had just opened. And then I just kind of took their name on my resume and ran with it and just kind of was just like, oh, well, I worked with the Fine Brothers. They're the biggest channel right now. You should also let me work with you. So I just kept getting internships uh, with kind of like media outlets, what's trending with talent management firms until um, one day I was, uh, I had left what's trending very abruptly um, and then didn't work for a while and then just did as many one-click job applications as I could. And then I got a response from someone named Nick Crompton at Team 10, and I looked at the address, because at the time I was still living in Orange County, and it was in West Hollywood, so my last job was in West Hollywood, so I was like, I don't want to make that commute again. Um, so I ignored it. He followed up like two days later with just a blank email, just so it would show up in my inbox. Again, I ignored it, and then he found me on Twitter. And then when I went to his Twitter profile, I saw that he was two years younger than me and the COO of a company. And like now, I've been there so long that it's different. But at the time, I'd been unemployed, like you said, for 10 months. So I was just like, I can trick these children into paying me money. And like that's what I ended up doing. They paid me for like a trial week to see how I worked with everyone there. And then the next week offered me a full-time job. Wow. So just to back up, how did you end up working with the Fine Bros? And, and even before that, you, how did you make the decision to leave college? How did you, you know, like bring us I bring actually us didn't point? drop out till I was working at Team 10. So oh, I really? was, yeah, I was taking like one class a semester, just like trying to like remain a student to like make sure my parents know, like, just to appease them with the fact that I'm still going to school. Um, but for the Fine Brothers, I always kept an eye on even things like Craigslist, but at the time I was looking at um, entertainmentcareers.net a lot, and they posted a very vague listing that was like, we need a PA for this web series and blah, blah, blah. Like the description was so vague, but I responded, I was just like, I know exactly what web series this is. I know like all of the principal cast members and like their history online. Um, like I'm just super aware of everything like you guys do. So I think I would be a good asset even though I had no experience at the time. But I think it's just the fact that I was able to figure out like exactly what project it was from this very vague listing that they were just like, sure, why not? And so then they brought you on as a, as a PA? As a PA for, for that show. summer, yeah. And so you were driving from Orange County to YouTube so Space? at that time, I was actually living in Corona, which is out by Riverside. Mm. Um, and I was like a barista. So any days I wasn't working at the coffee shop, I would be waking up at like 6 a.m. Because if anyone lives in Southern California, I don't care what anyone says, the 91 freeway is the worst freeway <laughs> to that, exist in the United States. That feels like a controversial argument because yeah. the 91 is not known as one of the worst at least that i think i feel like people would say the 405 right no the 405 is like consistent traffic though like the 91 if you're coming from orange county trying to go home to riverside the tolls get up to like 27 dollars mm -hmm. because otherwise yeah. it takes you three i did not hours. take tolls yeah. into account 
Today on the Colin and Samir podcast, we argue about freeways. Yeah. <laughs> Southern well, Californians like said, talking was... about traffic is like the most stereotypical right. Southern Californian thing also, to do. The conversation that I actually have most often. It's either traffic or weather. Right. But I, so I was getting up at, I was leaving at like 536 to get there at nine because um, the yeah. YouTube space is out mm-hmm. in Playa Vista. Um, so yeah, I was just commuting that whole time. What was it about entertainment? Why exactly were you searching entertainment.net? What drove you towards that? Um, I think it was more social media than anything. Um, and like while I was going to school, this like kind of ties into like, I guess the work I'm doing personally now, um, is, so I started at a junior college and was trying to transfer up and my first choice was USC because like the only like young Asian person I saw doing anything was John M. Chu and he went to USC. Um, so I was just like, oh, that is the path in to this whole thing. Um, and like, I, I feel like everyone, a lot of people today view social media as this like weird negativity, like black hole, but like I've met so many people through social media. So like that kind of um, drove me to stay in this specific like new media space, especially since my music, that series and the Lizzie Bennett Diaries at the time were the only two like trans media web series. So you could like follow along on Twitter and like what played out on Twitter affected what happened in the show. So like it was interesting to me to like see them actually build a community around the show like very intentionally instead of just oh, like someone on Twitter will start like a Twitter fan base. Mm, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. So, um, you know, one thing I wrote down in my notes that I thought was really interesting is you, you, I think you and I talked probably when we did the photo series mm-hmm. about like just being first generation yeah. Asian. I actually learned recently that it's second generation. I've been messing that up this whole time. Oh, no. I've been, I say that too. Yeah, because I learned like some sociologist on Twitter was like, why does everyone say first generation is like your parents are the first generation here your second children of immigrants are second generation i was just like well oh interesting i always thought we were first generation because i'm the first born in the u.s yeah that's what i thought too yeah. but apparently sociologists are okay more well yeah. whichever generation sick first or second yeah what's kind of interesting is uh, in my opinion your your story whether whether you know uh your your parents are, are immigrants or not you're kind of living like the modern entertainment American dream, right? Like drop out of college, go work in entertainment and end up working for, you know, one of the biggest, arguably the biggest uh, internet entertainment companies, right? Yeah. I mean, I will say though that like I did not address like the fact that I dropped out till like three weeks ago when um, Warner Brothers let me host my own screen of Crazy Rich Asians. Like, out loud, I had not said that. Oh, I dropped out of school until that day, and it was, like, a room, f- like, with a bunch of strangers, but also filled with, like, my family, and I was mm. just like, well, that's out there now, I guess. Yeah, and, and so the the thing that makes it really interesting for me um, is, like, that perception in in the Indian community of yeah. like college dropout yeah. is definitely negatively perceived. Right. Oh yeah. But no, my mom is still trying to get me to go back to, to go school. back to school. Yeah. Right. And so, but like financial success and career success is so positivity, positively like perceived Yeah, that do the, do, have those like counterbalanced for you? Have that, has that for your family? Have they seen like, Oh man, like, you know, college dropout is a very controversial thing in, right. in the Asian American community. 
but then you've had career success and, and financial success. I will too. say that I don't think it made sense to anyone in my family until that day because I think, well, because the internet is so new that to them, they're not like watching, like, sure, my mom will look up recipe videos on YouTube, but I'm sure she doesn't have like a favorite YouTube chef. Um, I think she just has favorite specific videos that she'll go back to. So I think like being specifically on the internet, it didn't make sense to them. And it wasn't until like through my internet stuff, like a traditional studio saw, it's like, oh, like she's doing something cool online, we'll give her this opportunity. And I think it was specifically the fact that I was like standing in front of 200 people like talking about the movie that my family's was like, oh, she has not been lying to us this whole time. And she's actually working in entertainment. I think that's an interesting topic, especially for people our age that work in social media, sort of just contextualizing it to your parents, yeah, right? Like how do you explain to them the scale of Jake Paul and Team 10 or of what you do or the importance of what you do? I know Samir and I, when we were building the lacrosse network and building a YouTube channel, we only had 5,000 subscribers for a long period of time. I was out right. here in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. My family's in New Jersey. It was really difficult to explain to my parents what I was trying to do out here. And I think it wasn't until Samir and I ended up on ESPN one time. So we were on oh, linear cool. cable. Yeah. It was about like three or four years down the line. I think that was one of the first times that both my parents were like, oh, okay, I get it. Like, this is like entertainment. Like, it's just an interesting thing. It's, it's tough to sort of explain that sometimes to right parents. yeah it wasn't until like they saw it as like oh other people are impressed mm -hmm. by her we should also be impressed by her like up until then i would always just make really inappropriate jokes about what i do because i was just like oh yeah i make videos of kids and i put them on the internet but then my parents would just be like okay well we can't tell our friends that and i, I totally like, understand <laughs> that i feel like we, i would downplay it as well to my parents that like it wasn't a real thing right. and it might have just been an insecurity of mine that I, I didn't really give credit to what I was doing because I didn't understand it maybe as much at the time what I was doing with YouTube. I feel like I still don't take that much credit just because in my eyes, like with the Team 10 stuff, it's like that machine would have grown either way just because Jake is involved. So whenever anyone asks, it's like, oh, I don't know how much credit I can take for how much that channel has grown. Sure, yeah. But I think being a part of, you know, the the group and, and being a part of, in my opinion, this like moment of history for entertainment. Yeah. This is a very historic moment that, that will like kids in film school or who study entertainment down the line will like, we're in the middle of this era that I think is fascinating. Like I went, I went to film school. So I remember studying the rise of reality TV when I was in film school and it was oh, like interesting, really fascinating. And I was like, this is so cool. Cause I lived through the rise of reality TV and we're in the middle of it. This is when I was in college. Yeah. But now we're in the middle of like the rise of the internet. Like I'm, I'm not positive that there's been people more famous than Logan and Jake Paul. Um, and the reason I say that is obviously there's been actors, there's been the Beatles and Michael Jackson, people who are globally famous. Mm -hmm. but the amount of access you have to these guys on a daily basis and like how much you think you know their personality and how as a viewer, as a 13-year-old kid, you might feel like you're actually friends with them. Like, when you see them on the street, you want to walk up and, like, Oh, right, interact. yeah, that's, um, like, VidCon last year, the yeah. cast of Pitch Perfect 3 came. Immediately when I heard, I emailed um, a mutual friend I have with the cast. I was like, you have to warn them. Internet fans are not the same. I was just like, when you go to the theater, you see 200 other people paying money and sitting in the same room as you watching this thing, I was just like, I was like, these kids are watching it for free by themselves in the room on mm. their phone. They think that they're, 
it, no matter how many, what the number of the view count says, they think that they are the only person who has ever seen that video. And, that, and yeah. so they don't take no as an answer. And not only are they watching it for free, but they're watching it every day. Right. And so in a way, you know, they may be consuming a Jake or a Logan Paul 15, 20 minutes a day. They're only going to see Pitch Perfect maybe once or twice. Right. So they're spending, arguably, they could be spending more time with Jake Paul every day than they might be with a classmate at school. Right. Which I think is a really interesting thing that does make them feel like they know this person. Right, which is why I think it's so funny when it's like, where when I'm in the house I, and I don't know the details of everything going on, but like I see these kids very, like trying to have very in-depth arguments on like, oh, I'm on this side because this, this, and this, and I was just like, how do you like think that you know as much information as you do because I'm there all day and mm. I don't know. Yeah, well, one thing that's kind of embodied how much the internet has has broken into entertainment is um last year you were at the teen choice awards yeah and jake yeah won jake won choice, a couple right? and they actually performed um right before so uh last year was the first year that teen choice did this thing called teen fest where it was like a live outdoor like music festival before the actual award show so team 10 performed it's everyday bro um, during that ceremony and Jake hosted it and he also took home two awards and then Erica took home one award um, this past Sunday. Yeah, and that, that to me is really interesting. I think uh, maybe two or three years ago, Casey Neistat also won yeah. an award there, correct? Like, I think they recognize a lot of YouTubers. and Yeah, they're, and they're adding so more they, categories, it feels so like, every year. I, I was, I was uh, watching Phil DeFranco this week, and he was talking about the Oscars and how the Oscars have added some new categories. And mm -hmm. I, was, I was waiting for him to say, I thought he was going to say, like, best YouTube short or something. Yeah. And like, I mean, I feel like best popular film is close enough. That's, so I was curious about that, like, best popular film. Is that going to, is there an opportunity for, like, an internet film I guess it's an opportunity for any film to to win that right yeah I think there is opportunity there if they meet the guidelines because there is the, yeah. like you have to be in a theater for two weeks yep. in order uh to be nominated um but again like just because while I do work on the internet I just feel like now my whole thing has just become representation so for me that's just like oh that's an opportunity for crazy rich Asians to be nominated yeah. for an Oscar for because a rom-com would never be um, nominated otherwise. Totally. Yeah. Do, do you think outside of that, do you think the lines have been, are, are going to continue to get blurred between what's, what's considered film and what's considered a video? Does that make sense? Like even if it's a 30 minute YouTube video or a 45 minute YouTube video, what's the difference between like, is that going to, are I those considered in the same category? I think it would be blurred the most for documentaries. Like I could see a short film being nominated, um, but I also don't know how many people would go the YouTube route as opposed to the like small film festival route. Sure. Yeah, that's true. I think I think it's going to be interesting, and I think we're like it feels like we've been in the YouTube age for so long because I think we've like. Work, we've all worked in it, right. we've all been involved in it, but like we're actually at really early stages of the Right. Like, and the only reason why is. I say like the documentaries have a better chance is because I feel like once you get past like maybe 15 minutes, 
people don't really care for long form well what is long form on the internet like narratives yep um okay so you sent me some notes before this podcast uh over email and there's some really fascinating things oh about just weird stuff that happens around the house yeah so i think like what i i'm i'm all like obviously i've watched the vlogs i see the madness that ensues the the sometimes i just look at the thumbnail and the title i'm like oh my god how what is it even like in that house? Uh, you, you said on the f- your first day of work, there was an animal in the house, correct? Yeah, I was just walking around the house and I like opened the door and there's just, like this baby kangaroo staring at me. <laughs> and I'm just like, all right, just like close the door and like slowly back away. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are you thinking in that moment on day one? I mean, I was just like, I was just kind of at the point. I was like, well, I need the money and I guess this is my life now. Like, because I had not looked up any of their videos before I started working there. So I was just like, I was just like, oh, maybe this is like a normal thing here. Like I did see like the trailer for it outside, but I didn't think that I would be seeing like a kangaroo that day. And I think there was also like a huge like python or anaconda that day later that was just like there for a photo shoot. So I imagine that was only the beginning of some of the madness that ensued. Yeah, I mean, at the at the new house, there's been a lion, there's been a giraffe. And that's just, and now we're just talking animals, yeah. <laughs> even everything else. At the old house, they uh, made their own, like, water slide from, like, Jake's room into the pool. So I'm curious, I want to ask you, I think when a lot of people think about YouTube, they just think about maybe one person in their bedroom with a camera mm-hmm. f- filming them, and that's it. They're editing it themselves. But Team 10 and Jake Paul, obviously, is a huge operation. Um, I think that it's smaller than people think it is. I think, like, relative to, I guess, how I think of YouTube. Yeah, I think a lot of people see the videos. It's like, he has a team. Like, there's, like, this person, this Like, he has one videographer and, like, one editor. So when you filled out the application, what was the job description? What were you going there? Um, It was to, like, manage their social media and produce content for the Team 10 YouTube channel. So, honestly, you guys have probably seen more Jake Paul vlogs than I have. Like, if I have a reason to watch them, I will. But a lot of times people will be like, oh, did you see a video today? I'm just like, no, I'm too busy working. Like, So, what were the types of videos then that, that you were in charge of producing for the Team 10 channel? So, with Team 10 specifically, I'm, like, probably just more aware that, like, our audience is younger. So, my whole thing is, like... If Jake is doing, like, the crazy thing, what content can I make for his audience that will, like, offset that? So it's it's a lot of silly, like, challenge videos. It's, like, very much, like, made for, like, middle school to early high school. And has that process of, of producing for Team 10 sort of influenced you or changed the way that, that you thought about social media for yourself? For myself, not really. The The only, like, social media changed because in 2017, it was, like, a rocket taking off. Like, it grew so quickly that I just became, like, ultra-private on social media. Like, I post every day, but, like, not much about, like, my actual life. I just unfollowed everyone from high school. If I, like, haven't seen them in a few years, I was just, like, I don't want people to find people in my life because I've learned through Jake's audience that like a young teen or tween who 
is just going to school and then coming home and like watching internet videos all day, they are probably the best private investigators <laughs> that you can find anywhere. Wow, I never thought of that concept of people looking up the people that I would follow. That has never crossed my mind. Well, I I only say that because I had like an experience where like in the span of like two weeks, maybe like 10 to 15 people who I knew like throughout high school or just like new in the industry, but like they're more like talent managers, not talent. Um, they would text me screenshots of like DMs they got that was just like, hey, can you put me through to my Lynn, please? I have a question for Jake Paul. And then after like 10 of these messages, I had to like reach out to this fan and be like, I'm just like, you cannot message people like from my personal life. Like that's a boundary that I'm like not cool with. Mm. Wow. That's, that's really, really interesting. Um, I really never, that, th- yeah. th- that's never crossed my mind. And but Twitter, obviously your, your exposure is on a mass scale, right? right. Like a global mass scale. Right. And, and then you show up in, in some of the vlogs too. Yeah. Sometimes. And then on Twitter, I'm very vocal about or, and my Instagram, whenever I do get an email in my like personal email that has Jake or team 10 in the subject, I like make it very well known. It's like if either, if it's about my work with Jake or team 10, I'm not going to answer it for my personal email. Interesting. Yeah. I can imagine. I mean, I, and, and Jake, you know, when you, you started in what, 2017? Uh, the very end of 2016. Got it. So, so you said 2017 was like a rocket ship. Yeah. 20, it was huge. What has 2018 been like? Cause 2018, in my opinion, like this feels like we're on a rocket ship right now, like watching. I feel like it's still going, but there were obviously some bumps along the way. Sure. But I mean, like, I'm very curious to see the like viewership stats of his upcoming boxing match. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I got to be honest, I've I pre-ordered it immediately. Uh, I'm like so sucked into the boxing. Right. It's like a full production. But then they like priced it like at a price meant for kids. Yeah. And I'm just like, this is going to be huge. It's going to be massive. It, it arguably could be the largest viewed boxing event ever. I mean, look I mean, at the numbers on the press conferences when right. you compare them to Mayweather-McGregor right. times three on the press conferences. So, like, I don't know. I mean, this is, again, we're, we're in this moment of history and entertainment that I think is unbelievable. No, no, yeah. like, none of this stuff has happened before. Yeah. And anyone can just do whatever they want now. Like, you just, you want to yeah, be a I boxer? Mean, I think, okay. I, yeah, I think this is, like, a huge case study for everyone because it's yeah. YouTube's first, like, pay-per-view event, I think. They've had pay-per-view events before, but yeah. honestly, nothing of this scale. And yeah. I don't think they've ever had a live stream of this scale. No, no, that's what I'm saying, yeah. Like, a yeah. live, like, like broadcasted from the actual arena. I yeah. feel like the pay-per-view events they've had are, like, regional high school sports games or something like that, or college. Like, have they had anything else of scale? Nothing like this. Yeah. They actually took away, we used to do pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lacrosse Network we used to put movies up and actually, like, did pretty well for us. Yeah. So that's more um, like on demand. On demand, yeah, yeah, documentary on demand. But then they took away the pay per view functionality from YouTube channels because they oh, were like, pay per view is not a, uh, you know, it's not something we do. It's not something we want to invest in. Yeah. But this opens up a whole, you know, new. Yeah, I and, and I'm curious to see like what 
top percent, like what that number is that they open this feature up to? Like if you're only in the top one to three yeah, percent, it's gotta be. I mean, I don't. I think that YouTube would want to get involved. Yeah. If it's See, this like is like the kind of thing I'm talking about, where I'm just like, I'm. I work there, but yeah. I like don't know everything. Sure. Yeah. I mean, or they're gonna maybe YouTube puts it on YouTube TV, right? Like places where they're investing. Like, okay, buy the subscription to YouTube TV. Oh, that would make me so sad because and, I do not like YouTube and TV. The, you don't like it? No, I'm I'm a fan of Hulu Live. What, what's the difference? What's like the biggest difference? I don't know. YouTube TV, I used it for a couple months and it was just such a hassle. And like, I like YouTube originals, but I feel like I would just rather pay the like separate $9.99 for the YouTube originals. So, so I'm like... I grew up as, as a sports fan. I still like to watch sports occasionally. So YouTube yeah. TV for me has been like unbelievable because... Oh, no. Hulu is the same thing. Hulu is the same thing. It's, okay. it's live TV. Yeah, yeah. Hulu live. Yeah. They, they have the same channels. I just think Hulu has Did a better UI. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I actually don't know what our age difference is, but I know that Colin and I both came from the TV era where like we grew up, like you come home from school, you turn on the TV. Yeah, and, we're like, only a few years apart. Yeah, whatever's on, like that's what you watch. You don't have so much control over what you watch. So YouTube TV, it's like, it's almost like nostalgic for me, yeah. right? It's funny for me now that like YouTube TV and going back to that style of consuming entertainment is like relaxing because I don't have to choose. Yeah. Which I think is funny. Like, I've gone through like the last six years of, of sitting down, choosing, scrolling through Netflix, YouTube. And now I just sometimes I'm like, you know yeah, what? See, I, Whatever's on is on. I'm just going to spend 20, 30 minutes and yeah. I'll just watch it. Yeah. See, I had gotten Hulu Live for um, award season, but then The Bachelor and The Bachelorette started. And yep. I was just like, oh, I can't cancel it. By the way, when is, the, when is like a YouTube show like that going to come on? With like, like a Bachelorette for YouTube where there's like a single YouTuber like maybe imagine the storyline right? on Let me TV paint this or on YouTube on YouTube Erica and Jake break up Jake Paul's now single Jake Paul is the bachelor or whatever on YouTube and there's like girls oh, can see? apply other YouTubers can apply to like be his like suitor do you know how massive that show would be it would be huge but that would also scares me you know what's crazy though is that like Jake Paul because he is the entertainer that he is can box and immediately probably be one of the biggest boxers. Like in terms of viewership, his entertainment yeah. value is going to be huge, but he could also be the bachelor. Like on YouTube, as long as there are people to produce and set these shows up and these events. See, that horrifies me as a thought though. I think it's if incredible. It, if, it's like, if it's like just other YouTubers, because there are some YouTube couples where I'm just like, I really hope one half of this couple is just trying to leech fame because if they're buying into this other person, then I'm very concerned. Oh, but isn't that the storyline too? It's so good, right? Is she or he here just to leech fame or are they there for true love? I can see it now. But it's then so also good. like how would that content distribution work? Like would they all be able to upload individual stuff on their channels? I think it's like behind the scenes and content, exclusive content, testimonials on their personal channels. They're just vlogging their date. Yes. Yeah. They're vlogging the date, and then the vlogs come out on their Is personal YouTube channels. YouTube funding the date. Yes, yes YouTube's Amazing. funding the date. I, I don't. There would have to be a central channel, I guess, for the show. And the finale's live. Paper oh. pay per view. Come on. They they just have like what's her name? Uh, Susan Wojcicki. Yeah. Is the host? She's, she's the Chris the Harrison. Host. Oh my god, that would be hilarious. Yeah, um, she's like brutally honest. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I, I did want to say, you, you know, now that, that J Jake uh, or Pryor in the past couple of months has been training, there's a boxing ring in the house, correct? Yes. In, which is essentially your office? 
Yeah. Well, it's in like a, a different portion okay, of the house. Of the we house. we do have like a separate office area, but I've just gotten used to working in like a very specific couch in the living room. Got it. So the, uh, where I'm going with this is mm-hmm. things that have happened while you're working. So you put a note that you've actually gotten a tattoo. Yeah. While so sending emails. Tell tell me that story. Well. Jake and Erica were getting matching tattoos for a vlog and then because these artists were here um, doing murals for Jake's house and I was just like oh free tattoos I'm down and then um, it ended up uh, I had to wait till the next morning so I was just like oh I have like so many emails to write so he's just like he's just like oh if you don't need your right arm for anything you can just like leave it on the the table and like type out your emails with your left hand and then like my other coworker who it was his second time to the house ever he just walks in and like sees me at my desk like with one hand typing an email and I'm just like just the loud buzzing of the tattoo gun getting a tattoo on my right arm it was Can we see it? Yeah. It's Oh cool. Oh, cool. On my forearm it says it's chaos be kind from Patton Oswalt's late wife slash his last Netflix special. Looks really cool. Thanks. And I like the message. And Thanks. funny that it's kind of chaos when you're sitting there yeah. writing All emails the with yeah. one hand. There, there yeah. have been like times at the old house where I was like, again, just typing an email and like all of a sudden like a printer is being smashed in front of my desk and I was just like, all right. Like I've, I've definitely, like, because I get into like laser focus mode when I'm working. I just have headphones on at like, max volume i've definitely once taken headphones off i turn around the house is covered in soda and there's like a baby goat just running around the house (laughs) (laughs) unbelievable like i can't even i can't even imagine what those experiences feel like um and something i think that's really interesting something you wrote in in the article i read is um you like you had a line in there that i really liked i think i wrote it down but it was about like working with people that you look up to or people that are kind of, uh, you know, big in entertainment and becoming more of their like peers than. Oh yeah. So I, uh, my whole thing is like, I, and I don't know if it's because I've watched like this VidCon generation kind of like, like them never taking no for an answer from an influencer for like photos and stuff. But I've just always, um, operated is it's like oh I'd rather be this person's friend or this person's colleague than like have them know me from like showing up to the meet and greet this one time and being like a crazy like in their face fan mm. so like my second internship I ever got was with Tyler Oakley's manager and the way that I got that is um, the internship I had at the, at the time or actually no I didn't have that internship at the time yet um, I was just invited um, by one of my future internships to go to Trevor Live, um, where Tyler was co-hosting the red carpet, and everyone was like crowding Tyler, and I saw his manager, who I recognized from his Instagrams and stuff. So like I started talking to her about like, oh, are you like a manager, like uh, freelance, or like are you with Big Frame or whatever? So like I always try to put into context of like oh how can I humanize this person or even like Anna Kendrick I met her once and I was just like at a meet and greet type thing which I did not want to do my friend wanted to meet her but he had work that day so he made me go buy like copies of her book 
so he could later meet her and take a photo with her. So immediately I was just like, one, like this is the most disgusting thing I've ever done is paying to meet somebody. And then I was just like, two, you worked with my friend Carl on your funnier die shoe. She's like, oh, you know Carl who looks like young Johnny Depp. And I was like, yeah, that Carl. And like with the Barnes and Noble people just got super pissed that she was talking to me for a longer amount of time than everyone else. But I, I'm always just like, what is like our common ground here? So, so did you employ that with Kim Kardashian? Oh no, Kim Kardashian, dude, that was nuts. Tell they us the like, story. Literally, like, hid everyone when she walked in the building. Like, even the press photographers, they had like a separate room made up out of curtains set up so that like these press photographers could hide behind this curtain as she's walking in the room. So that was just like, oh, just be in the room and like sneak a photo when you can. So set the stage there. Where were you? Why was Kim Kardashian even in the in the picture here? Oh, so I was uh, taking some behind the scenes photos for BeautyCon a few weeks ago. And like she was their big headlining name that weekend. And it was like, I think the first time that she was going to a BeautyCon event. Um, and obviously like Kim Kardashian uh, Beauty is a huge makeup brand now. Um, I think it's like KKW Beauty. Or KKW something. Beauty. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm on it. <laughs> I follow all the Kardashian like storylines. Yeah, yeah. So it's huge. And so they're just like, they're just like, we don't care what photos you get. Just sneak in and like try to take what you can. I, I like what you said there about finding common ground. So when you're there and you're about to try and take photos of Kim Kardashian, did you find common ground? Even if you didn't get the chance to talk to her, what's going through your head there as you're trying to like, find common ground and, and have a conversation there potentially with Kim Kardashian? I won't lie. I've watched many seasons of the show, but actually um, Jake's old manager actually uh, works with her best friend. Okay. So I would have just brought him up. That's good. Yeah. I, I, uh, I saw Kendall Jenner biking about two Oh, weeks. I did see this. You, you saw that? Yeah. Yeah, on your Instagram Yeah, story. so I saw <laughs> Kendall Jenner and Ben Simmons uh, leaving a Whole Foods and they were biking my way, and I was the only thing standing in their way uh, as they were biking through. And I smiled at them. They smiled back at me. I kind of panicked. I th- tried to find common ground really fast, thought of anything, and I was like, wait, I've got nothing here. And then they, they uh, biked by, and that was it. I mean, yeah, sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes you don't have common ground. But yeah, next time like, I see them, yeah, at, at, that could be the story I tell, and maybe I'll have some common ground. Yeah, at um, a party I went to the other day, Ming-Na Wen was there. She's the voice the voice actor for Mulan but I was just like I have nothing to say to this person right yeah so I just kind of let it be I, I want I bring up this conversation and you know because Colin and I have been in situations where we've met a lot of people that we look up to mm-hmm. when we were first starting our, our first company lacrosse network like as a young as a young kid I like looked up to all these athletes that we ended up getting to film with and who were like um, became really close friends with us. But when we got into the YouTube world, like the first time we met Casey Neistat, just like total freak out, like v- verbal vomit while we were trying to talk to him, just like a mess. Right. And yeah. I'm impressed with every time I talk to you, like the amount of people you've uh, been able to work with. I mean, the group that you do work with being able to just be composed, uh, be laser focused and be, um, you know, able to find common ground with people and humanize that. I think that's really good advice. I think maybe also I'm just like dead inside. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think, I think it really is good advice because the reality is, you know, um, whenever there's been, you know, we're, it's on a much smaller scale with us, but whenever there's been people who like our content and want to come up to us, it's so much 
more comfortable for us when you you come up and treat us like just people and right. like hey i really like the work you guys do that's really cool and it's not as comfortable if someone's like freaking out or like really panicked or anything like that it's just yeah and i feel like if someone is actually trying to like work in entertainment and they get the chance to meet like someone they look up to i always think about it's just like oh what is like some value proposition that i can bring up that like one like humanizes us to each other and then like makes me like a potential asset to them Mm. um like in high school like i've always been like really fascinated by uh celebrities who start their own charities um and then in high school and i'm like super big into mental health and the jed foundation like started this new project with Brittany snow um and then now i am in constant contact with like that charity and helping them out on their social media stuff hmm. yeah so so clearly it, it works like the, the way that you approach this like has worked for you you've gotten into all these yeah. really well also whenever like because you you know how there's like the problem of like fandom where there's like if yeah. like this person can do no wrong i don't have that i the instant i feel like i might want to become a fan of someone I have to sit there and find every interview I can to make sure that they're like a decent person and like find their fatal flaw like what answer like or it's just like oh that wasn't a great answer just because they are also human do you ever find that conflict whether with yourself or with your friends or family about working with team 10 does does are there other people who perceive it I mean, I think there's there's obviously polarizing perception about. Jake yeah, I mean, I I had Pulse, a right? I had a meeting two weeks ago with like a huge YouTube channel, not huge in today's standards, but like huge in terms of like they were like an OG creator, where there's just like there's just like based on what you're posting on social media, I don't know how that aligns with working with Team Ten, and then my whole thing it's like the opportunity there is what I'm focusing on. Hmm. Yeah. No, I think I, I think that's really uh, really interesting. And you actually uh, are a creator yourself. You do like photography, obviously, but you actually were making your own content pre Fine Bros. Yeah, I where, was. Where is that content? Oh, I so again the same person who reached out to everyone in my personal life. I don't know how she did it, but. I, because I had unlisted all of my old YouTube videos and she found that channel. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to delete this channel. Mm. So, so why the, when, when I think there's probably a crop of people who would have, who would take the opportunity that you have right now and try mm-hmm. and push themselves into building a, uh, a personal brand about themselves. Yeah. Why, why go more private? Why like, um, well, it was just with that channel, just because I, I am, like, thinking about, like, how YouTube Today works so much. So, with that channel, like, I just had unlisted those videos. It's, like, it's not that I'm embarrassed by them, but they're just, like, not relevant anymore because I talked a lot about pop culture stuff back then. And then I know that, like, my best chance to build a brand for myself today is to start with a brand new channel. Because Mm, a channel that starts in 2018 that gets to 100,000 subscribers in 2018 versus a channel that started in 2010 and reached 100,000 subscribers in 2018, like, the algorithm is going to favor the newer channel more because it took a shorter amount of time to grow. Got it. Interesting. 
That's good intel for us. That is good. Yeah, yeah, I like that. So I, uh, you said something recently about uh, going to the Anna Kendrick meetup. Um, yeah. And just like that, kind of like paying money to go see a celebrity. Um, something that's really fascinated me is when influencers go on tour or, yeah. or have meetups or, or physical interactions. Um, we've seen all kinds of different things. I, I recently plugged myself into the drama of Fousey Tubes, like concert oh, it, that he it's, threw. It's madness. Which, which is madness. It's all madness because the scales are unheard of, I think. Like, or um, TanaCon. Yeah. TanaCon's a great example. Like, you throw a free event and like thousands of people show up and you have no experience throwing like a massive event. Right. So talk to me about uh, Team 10 Tour, you know, go- going to that. Like, what what does that look like in the physical space now from, from their perspective? Um, I mean, I only went out for one tour day. I drove out to Phoenix, um, shot the first show and then left. But I feel like that was a more well thought out situation because it was the meet and greet, um, before the shows were just like, there were six of them on tour. So we split them up into pairs and had three different backdrops. Um, so you would take a photo with a pair and then the backdrop line would lead you through like the other two. Um, and Jake would usually be at the very last one to limit the chaos of the line. Um, and then we also had like a separate higher tier ticket where like I think for 15 minutes before the show they were able to hang out with Jake in his green room. So I feel like it was much more controlled than any like kind of if it was if the event was a pure meet and greet I think it would have been like very hectic. So outside of the meet and greet component when you say the show what what are fans going and, and, and seeing oh it's like a full-on like two-hour concert it's like broadway show um no just like a regular con- like they have like tracks release like rap songs okay they would have All like music based yes and they would have some small skits that would transition them into the next song but yeah it was a just regular concert that's interesting. And the small skits, that's actually not unlike that many other like artists. Like I'm sure there, there are, I remember I saw Kanye like yeah. four or five years ago and he was doing skits and that, that happens. It's yeah. interesting. I feel like Jake Paul and team 10 are so well suited actually to put on an event like that because yeah, they do was, perform music. It was like, I feel like this was much more of a traditional tour than it was like an influencer, like digital tour. Okay. I guess that, that would lie more so in like the Tanacons of the world where literally it was kind of like, uh, basically just go meet and greet and get like a goodie bag. Mm -hmm. Got it. The theatrics though, I've watched tons of videos on the uh, team 10 tour. The theatrics are phenomenal. Like the one where Logan calls and he's on screen and then he comes out and everyone's freaking out and then they sing the song together. It's like, I mean, it's like, it's modern day. Like, I guess not modern. He was a Disney star, but like Disney stars or like Nickelodeon stars. And they're like doing the thing that you see them do on the internet in real life. Right. Right. Which is why I think so many kids like are more invested in these digital stars. Right. So you've been working with team 10 now since late 2016. Mm -hmm. Um, so what have you learned in, in your time there? What lessons have you pulled from like, give me some just lessons from the past year and a half. I mean, I think it definitely like teaches you that creativity is definitely like a muscle because um, even, so I started this thing at the very beginning when I worked at Team 10 Wars. I was like, I'm just going to commit to posting on Instagram every day. And like, 
now that to me it's like I like am conscious of it where I'm just like oh what is the post for today um, it's the same thing with like producing the videos it's like oh what do I want to do granted we haven't uploaded one since tour just because this fight has taken over mm -hmm. our lives um, but I think it's just like the more you create the easier it becomes at least that's how it feels to me Interesting. I, I, I like that. I think I agree that I think creativity is a muscle. Um, and just like anything else, like I, whenever we talk to people, it's, we talk about uh, sports a lot. We use a lot of sports analogies. Like if you want to be a professional soccer player, you'd probably kick the soccer ball every day. Right. Yeah. So if you want to be a creative or, or a YouTuber, then turning the camera on, talking to a camera, it's the same thing. You have to build that skill set and build that muscle. Yeah, because um, people like will ask me for photography tips all the time, but I'm just like, I'm not a real photographer. I just, one day at Team 10, we figured out that I'm not bad at it. And then, but like, I can recognize that like my photo series from this year versus last year is like night and day of how much I've improved just, just because I shoot every day. Yeah, and when, when we met and we did those photos, I was really impressed just with your dedication to projects while you ha have a job. But I think you clearly have had this drive for ever, like working as a barista, waking up in the morning, driving up to you know produce. And you had a line that I really connected with in, in your article about, well, you called it first generation guilt. Yeah. Um, but we'll just call it second generation yeah. guilt. Now that we know. Um, so so any, anyways, like, like second generation guilt guilt is that something that has driven your work ethic and, and your focus and I guess we'll unpack it and, and define it a little bit more but um I mean yeah I think that's like there's no second option for me right because we mentioned that because you went to film school like I dropped out like the fact that I dropped out and then proceeded to like try and make it in a very notoriously risky business like that this can't not work out because Otherwise, what would it have all been for for my parents yes. to like come over That's here and start a new life? And it's just like, oh, we have one kid who became a computer engineer and then one that dropped out of college to help kids make videos on the Internet. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's why I connected a lot with that statement and like can uh, I don't know, it just hit, hit really close to home for me because, you know, my family moved from. Mm -hmm. India, my dad moved from a small village. He was very poor when he uh, moved here, didn't really didn't have any money and then was able to, you know, from the ground up, start a business, yeah. uh, you know, have a family and support us um, living here in Los Angeles. And the same with you, like living in, in Orange County, your family was yeah. able to create a life. And that feat is so large when as you get older and you start to realize, like, man, that was a big thing they did right which right? is which is kind of like what led me into like working so closely with mental health organizations because like for a long time like it, it takes a while I feel like for that guilt to turn into just being grateful because for a long time mm. it's just like oh I can't complain about this thing that I'm going through my parents left a different country they right. learned a new language why am I complaining about like missing this test or whatever like that's like so minuscule as compared to what they went through. Yes. And, and I, I think though there's, um, you know, a lot of that for me personally drives like my ambition and my right. like daily work. Like I'm very uncomfortable not working. Same. 
like I'm super uncomfortable. Like even if I go somewhere or go on vacation or attempt to take a break, I'm incredibly uncomfortable, especially because being conditioned growing up, hearing my dad talk about how much he had to work to right. make all this happen. Yeah, like, the, I can't sink into the place of like, yeah, I should relax. Yeah, the first uh, week of June after, so the tour started the end of May and then my photo project was all throughout May. So the first week of June, like I took a week in the Bay Area and then my friend uh, was just like, oh, you should do this, this and this. And I was just like, I was like, I don't know. I talked to my other friends about it and they think that I should just lie on the couch for a solid week and not move. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. I've had people tell me that before and that's like never advice that I would give. I think that's like, that's the worst thing I could do. It'd be yeah. so difficult. But I am trying to be more conscious of like, the need for a break before I just like go crazy. Like in like totally. when I moved out to the Valley, I had specifically got a place uh, with two rooms so that I would have an office because I was like, if I put a desk in the same place I sleep, I'm never going to sleep. I'm just going to work till I die. Yeah. I definitely, as I get older, understand the value of like knowing myself better and knowing what I need to yeah. be a healthier human being. Yeah. Like, being in close proximity to a gym, like making sure I go work out, yeah. having enough space, eating healthy, taking the time to do those things. Because I feel like from 21 to 24, 25, when we were really aggressively building the lacrosse network, I did not prioritize my mental health, my physical health, any of that at all. And it was like almost a crutch to just be like, I should just be working all the time. I mean, I do feel like we live in a culture that fosters that mindset, though, where totally. it's just like, if you haven't changed the world by the time you're 25, what are you even doing here? So I'm just like, oh, God. We really, well, I think also like with social media, that is, I guess, one of the downsides that people talk about, especially in relation to mental health, is that you're always, you always have access to what you consider to be the best and the brightest and of what you would have wanted to be, right? Mm -hmm. Like you will, I definitely follow and gravitate towards people that I find aspirational. I don't think that's like rare or uncommon, mm -hmm. but when you're exposed to the aspirational and the amazing and the incredible all the time, it can feel like, well, what have I done? Yeah. I'm always behind. I'll never be there. Yeah. And like, I feel like this sounds super cocky when I'm talking about myself, but like my friend the other day, he was just like, he was just like, you're one of the friends I brag about the most. But to me, I'm just like, there's still so much to do though. Like, why would yeah. that, why would you talk to me at all? Uh, like, I, I mentioned this on a previous podcast, but I went to a wedding back home in New Jersey and it was with a bunch of people I hadn't seen since I was in like elementary school, like yeah. fifth and sixth grade. Mm -hmm. But all of them followed me on Instagram. I had not seen them in like 10 to 12 years. Yeah. And a bunch of them were like, I have to tell you, you have the most interesting life of like anyone I follow on, in on Instagram. And at the time I like, wasn't feeling that great about myself yeah. and what I was doing. And I was like, this is so interesting. Like the perception that I put out is not at all close to how I feel. And I do feel like I'm being truthful to like who I am. I'm just putting out like good highlight moments or things yeah. that I'm excited about. But when you look at it from a different perspective. See, I, I try to consciously like avoid like, 
the few posts on my Instagram that are about my life, I try to like avoid it being becoming a highlight reel mm-hmm. because I was just like, I'm just like, this is the majority of Instagram accounts. Totally. It's, it's like, look at this like very perfect curation of my life. So like before a friend's wedding recently, I visited my hometown's reptile zoo. Mm-hmm. And then like in the caption, I was just like, I was very transparent. I was just like, what is the dumbest Instagram photo I could take. Oh right, I know people I'm with a reptile zoo. Like I'm not just gonna like post this thing and have like a that. super cool guy caption and I'm just like, oh no, I'm an idiot and I like went out of my way to take this photo. I totally gravitate towards like self deprecating humor, yeah. especially on social media. Like Well, I feel like especially since my audience is so young, I don't want them to feel like like you have to be flexing all the time. And and that's a, I I really appreciate that you have that uh, in you because again it's it's seems like right now a lot of content is moving towards this like highly aspirational lifestyle that's mm-hmm. like hyper curated and so I think caring about you know mental health because again I I can't imagine growing up and being in high school during like the Instagram era I really can't yeah I can't imagine like being in high school and having someone in my grade have like a million followers like I, I don't know I just like can't imagine that situation uh, oh see another funny thing is is some girl who graduated a year above me at my high school became a victoria's secret model so wow everyone yeah. at my school yeah, yeah. like we didn't even need instagram we just had this one girl become a victoria's secret angel you're also from orange county and like this is true you know, michelle pfeiffer went to my yeah, high school and like the oc was like a big show like everyone in in the oh, u.s the knows about orange county yeah i mean i definitely like I watched the OC religiously. I consider it to be like one of the best shows of all time. I love that show, but I'm just like, this is what an awful representation of. I can't even imagine what it was like yet to grow up there. But like for me in a suburb of New Jersey, the OC came out and Laguna beach. And I was like, what is happening in Southern California? Like I had no concept of what it was like, obviously to go to high school in Southern California in Los Angeles and watching those two shows. I was just like, okay, like, I need to go there. And I, it definitely plays a part of why I'm here right now. Funny I mean, enough. I mean, Josh Schwartz knows how to make a TV he show. He does know how to make a TV show. Uh, Gossip Girl, too, f- was him. Funny enough, the OC, a lot of it, like, the houses were shot in Malibu. Yeah, well, because really that the show is based so much in South Orange County. Yeah. Like... If you're from Orange County, then you know if, if like someone has a nine for a nine number, you're just like, oh, so you're a fancy person. I love how Southern California this podcast is, like yeah. talking about the 91 freeway and 949. <laughs> but uh, so mental health is something you, you obviously care about. Yeah. Um, and I love that. And another thing you care about and how we connected is Asian American advocacy. Yes. Um, talk to me about why. why. Why is that something that you care about? You you choose to create content about it? like. You know, what, what, what is it, uh, how did, how did that become something that you, you really wanted to focus on? Um, I mean, I don't know if it's the same for everyone. Are you guys friends with John Hill at all? We we're internet acquaintances. Okay. Like we've follow each other on Twitter and we've liked each other. I think he responded to like one of our tweets. He liked one of them. I feel like we're getting close potentially to meeting him if we went to New York. Okay. So, I mean, it's like he and I have different stories, but kind of the same where he was more forced to be white growing up, but like growing up, um, so I moved from Orange County to Riverside when I was a junior in high school. And like, it was huge culture shock because where I grew up in Orange County was like very densely populated with Vietnamese people. Um, 
to just like to the situation where I was like the only Asian person at my school and then so during high school I would like try to act as like quote unquote American as possible um, and then like at some point you just realize uh, through like being asked it's like oh where are you from oh California oh no are you where are you really from I'm just like I mm -hmm. don't know how it can be more from a place than like where I was born um, so it kind of like became a situation where it was just like oh like the world won't favor me if I lean away from my culture so I'm gonna do the other thing and like lean into my culture and then where it's like you're looking for like idols who look like you. It's like oh there's nobody there's like Lucy Liu who for like in everything that she plays has like the last name Wilson or like Parker and you're just like this doesn't make sense. And then, like, the Joy Luck Club came out when I was three months old. So, honestly, I've never seen it. Um, so, I was just like, so I'm just like, there's like this huge gap in entertainment for like a huge portion of the population that th is just not being seen. And until Fresh Off the Boat came to ABC, it was kind of like that was a moment where I feel like a lot of Asian Americans is like, oh, we can actually like fight back about this and we can actually like talk about it and like try to get like our piece of the pie yeah and and i i love that and i really connect with that uh, when i went to college i mean almost everyone called me kumar uh and i also had an asian best friend so it yeah. was like harold and kumar <laughs> like just like that was all the the amount of like indians in media when i was in college was like a poo yeah uh on the simpsons yeah and kumar like that was like the primary stuff right. and today it's amazing because like i i never really thought too much about about like how could I how, how can you right how can you actually think it's a possibility to make it an entertainment right. when you don't see people who look like you right um, and when you do see them you're like okay well maybe I could make it but I would have to kind of play a caricature of like what an Indian guy yeah. is like or in Mean Girls there's like an Indian high school kid who's right. like a mathematician he's like the head of the math league yeah today it's very different we yeah. have Hassan Minaj uh, which is awesome. Yeah, that's you know. the show I went to see the other day. It was great. Oh, his talk show? Um, he, or no, he's on, uh, yeah, he's on tour right now. Yeah. For his new special that's coming out in oh, November, was, I think. And how was it? I think his one on Netflix is like amazing. At uh, the Ace Theater. Oh, was it? It was it great. Cool. They're yeah. the, I, like, I love him. He, f funny enough, he's like, I mean, the the uh, Indian world is extremely small. Yeah. So like he was friends with my brother growing up and like oh, slept cool. over at my house. He liked, liked my Instagram post about Wow, show. that's amazing. But I think it was so, because I pointed out the fact that there was like, clearly he is someone who like, again, like kids are just seeing themselves in. So they show his uh, Homecoming King special to their parents. Mm. And it's like, I saw so many, like, just, like full families there. It wasn't just like the kids in high school or college. It's like their parents were going with them to see yeah. this guy who clearly like provides some sort of generational gap totally. for them. I mean, my parents watched his special and like just totally connected with it because they were, I mean, he talks so much about being a second generation right. kid and he's so different from, uh, you know, a, a character like Kunal Nair on Big, yeah. Big Bang Theory, yeah. who's like a nerd Indian guy right. who's like, that was like the evolution of that. And then now we have Hasan Minhaj who just like spoke at the White House correspondence dinner and you're like, oh wow, he's like, He's a part of this world. Yeah. He's not playing like a guy from India. He's just right. an American guy who's Indian. Right. And so I, I connect with all the stuff you post. Um, and, I've you know, obviously that's how we connected. But yeah. um, I think that's really awesome. And I think it's so important for people to see people who look like them in entertainment. 
Yeah. And I think coming from someone whose demographic is like overly represented, yeah. obviously in Hollywood, seeing and watching Homecoming King and seeing more content like that also provides an education for me about what it's like to be a second generation immigrant. Right. right. To hear these stories. Like the more stories that are out there, also the more that I can have an opportunity to understand what it would be like. Right. I, I mean, I always tell people that it's like, it's, it's, which this might be a controversial statement, but I, I always tell people, it's just like, it's not like just the ultra racist white people that are going to like ruin everything. I think it's going to be like kind of pseudo woke white people who acknowledge that racism still happens, but they also live in this weird fantasy world where they treat all minorities as if they're already equal when that's just not the case. I was just like, at least a racist recognizes that we're not on the same playing field. Pseudo woke is the first time I've heard that term, but I feel like hearing that now, it is a very apparent like contingent of people, right? To be like pseudo woke, like it is considered yeah. cool to be. Yeah. All the time. It's like a situation with the, where there's like, Oh, I don't, like, I don't not see like color, that. and I'm just like, yeah. okay, that's I. I don't want you to not see color. I want you to, like to embrace that the color is there. Um, where I don't know, like that. I get into this argument with friends all the time, where I'm just like, you sh- you can't not know what having to like have race be a part of every thought is, and and you can't not know that and be like, oh, this situation has nothing to do with race. I was just like a if you really want to be an ally, you would kind of like step back and be like, what about this situation and race am I not seeing? Because for me, that is an option. Totally. I I was going to say, it does feel like it's more so about totally like valuing the experience, not discrediting it. And like, not just like doing nothing, I guess, or sort of like, like being interested and valuing the experience of someone who's not like you. Right. And I will say that I, I, I do think that a, a lot of people in terms of Asian specifically don't give Asian people like that much room to be offended by anything because like equal payday comes out and everyone's just like, oh, what do you think about Asians being paid equal if not more than white people? And I'm just like, okay, but there's also a reason that that is, why that is. It's like when Asian people came here, the government told them they were better than blacks and Latinos and that they would pay them more to like kind of like establish this separation between minorities. And I'm just like, there's always a deeper reason for everything. Yeah, I, I think the most important thing is just increased uh, empathy across the board. Right. Right. Like just increased understanding. And I th- in my opinion, the opportunity at hand is like everyone can build a platform now and everyone can have a platform, right? which is, which is good and bad. Uh, but I think it, for the people who want to increase empathy and, and tell stories, yeah, people like yourself, inclusive. Who, yeah. People like yourself though, who I'm sure you get messages from, uh, you know, young it, it, in the Asian community. Yeah. Who's like, wow, this is awesome. My Lynn's doing it. Like she's paving the way. I mean, I hope so. I'm doing what I can. Yeah. And, but it's, it, it might feel small, um, but for me, like as of recent, been getting a lot of emails and, and DMs from, um, younger high school age Indian kids. Yeah. And I don't think I ever recognized that that was going to be a thing, even with the audience we have, like that, that was going to be a thing that kids are like, you are inspiring me to, um, pursue like art or creativity or filmmaking. Cause again, in, in our culture, it's not, it's not normal to like pursue that. 
Right. It's kind of against the grain. Right, um, which is crazy considering Bollywood. how much <laughs> content is coming out of Bollywood. I know. Do you find it, it that, is weird that that's? Do you think that your name affects how many kids message you? Like the fact that you, like, don't have a westernized name. Because my friend, his name is Sammy, but he just goes by Sam. Got it. Yeah, I've never. Th- there was kids in high school who called me Sam. Oh. That was a thing. But I'd never encourage that. I never introduced myself as Sam. Right. I never have. Don't you think that's weird that people don't call you by? Yeah, what you I actually yourself? never recognize it because I call people like I call Colin call. Yeah. Right. Like I just call everyone by a shortened version yeah. of their name, uh, and so I always thought that was the same thing. But yeah, um, my my current girlfriend, like we were with some of my my high school friends, and someone said. Uh, called me Sam and she was like why are they calling you Sam like that is so offensive and I was like I've never thought of that as yeah. offensive I just thought that was my nickname and I still don't think of it as that I don't think anyone had malintentions calling me Sam uh, but I'm very proud to make sure that like my name is is written out and, yeah like I am Samir and and like I will tell you if, how to say it and like you know, I just, I'm super proud of my culture. So like oh, see, I, I'm so passive aggressive about it every year on my birthday, on whatever social media I can. It's like, if we've met in the past year, just let you know, you've been saying my name wrong this whole time. <laughs> Have we been saying your name wrong? No. Well, like I said, most people will say my, they'll call okay, me that it, for, yeah. and then I'm just like, I'm just like, I know that it's two words and it's very confusing, but mm. no one is going around calling Mary Kate Olsen, just Mary Olsen. Like, got it. Mm. That's true. That's true. That's good. Um, okay, cool. So you are also very vocal about uh, Crazy Rich Agents, a new movie yeah. out. Are you involved in that movie, um, or have you just been super passionate about it? I get this question it? a yeah. lot. Because it my, feels like you're like My friend the other involved. day was like, are they paying you to promote this movie? And I responded, I was like, I'll probably end up paying my own money to promote this movie, which I did. I just bought like 20 tickets yesterday to, to give away. Um but my answer to all of that is just like, I'm just not trying to wait until I'm 50 for a westernized movie with more than one like Asian as a lead character to come out. And obviously like with how much hype this m- movie has produced, people are just gonna, like, oh, I don't think that's going to happen. I was just like, I don't know. History has shown me otherwise because Joy Luck Club did really well when it came out. And that was the last one, which mm-hmm. was 25 years ago. So I'm just trying, and especially with influencers now getting more into acting stuff, I think uh, Timothy DeLaghetto tweeted it best the other day. He was just like, he's just like, yo, I have no involvement in this movie, but if you ever want to see my face on the big screen, you have to go buy a ticket to see Crazy Rich Asians because that's how deep this is. Like it, I have no skin in the acting game, but I have a lot of friends that do, and it, like, it, I don't know whether it's cool or mostly just sad that like the trajectory of their career in terms of whether or not they'll always be stuck playing a second rate like best friend character or have the opportunity to play a lead role all comes down to how this movie does this weekend at the box office. Wow. Interesting. Because if we can prove that like Asians can lead movies and they can sell, then they'll have more opportunities to have the lead role if not it's just always going to be like the best friend 
that's that's a really interesting opportunity and really cool that you've gotten yourself so involved um, to the point where you you've purchased tickets and you're giving them away, correct? Yeah, and, and Warner Brothers let me host um, my own screening for 200 cool. people in Orange County uh, last month. That's so cool. Yeah, and that and my case for that was just because, like again, our a lot of our parents are immigrants, and I was just like. A Vietnamese parent is not going to care about two Chinese people falling in love. Right. Because, like, representation shouldn't matter to our parents because, again, they were busy building a life here. But I think if kids tell their parents, it's like, oh, me seeing myself on screen matters, I think parents will, like, go out and spend the money. Also, Asians spend a lot of money at the box office every year. If we're not showing up for our own movie, like, that's a problem. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Um, okay, I have a question for you. What what else on uh, Netflix are you watching? What else are you like consuming right now? Um, I really like Vox's show Explained. Explained. It's super cool. Great. I'm. I don't know whether or not I like it coming out weekly more than I'd rather just have a season of like things I can just learn because one of my favorite podcasts right now is Getting Curious, but uh, with Jonathan Van Ness, which is one of the guys from Queer Eye, where like he. It's a 30-minute podcast where each episode he talks to an expert on a subject and just learns about it. That's cool. Where I'm just like, yeah, I just want a whole back catalog of stuff that I can watch, but they release it weekly. I got really into Terrace House out of nowhere on Netflix. It's like a Japanese reality show. And I've it's heard about this. The strange, even when they're awful to, to each other, they're so polite about it. They're just like... They just go up to each other. They're just like, this is like, blah, blah. I, I really feel the need to tell you. I know that you like this guy, but I asked him out on a date. Um, I just didn't want you to find out from someone else. Or it's just like, oh, you're like kind of a slob, but we don't want to hurt your feelings. We just need you to know that like you need to clean up. Our, and I'm just like, wow. Sounds like TV I'd like to watch. I was yeah. just like, this is so healthy. <laughs> just like healthy real world. But also, but also I feel like I'd be searching for where it's getting passive aggressive. And that might be the entertainment for me. It's like, yeah, like she or he is being really nice. But like, are there some dark undertones there? There like, was a exactly. moment at the... I completely ruined my sleep schedule the other day because again most of the show was just like oh what a nice thing to watch at the end of the day and then all of a sudden like this one very dramatic thing happens at the end of like the second season where it's just like oh i can't uh, i can't stop now yeah, yeah where yeah. i'm just like i'm just like they've been doing what the entire time <laughs> so i was just like oh god now i stayed up to like five watching the show T tv production companies are still so good at that like they're so good at the cliffhanger where it's just like, okay, I have no choice now. I have to watch 40 more minutes. Well, what's of content. great about this show also is I think I don't, I, I, I'm sure in the original. So this show used to be a show in Japan before Netflix America picked it up. Um, but like once at the beginning and in the middle, and I think maybe for like a couple seconds at the end, there's like a room of people who are watching the episode with you and they comment on the episode. So you're like watching these Whoa. people react to what you just watched. And you're just like, yes, this person has the right reaction to this thing I just saw. Like it's kind of the best reality TV. Wow. I'm definitely going to have to check that out. And I can't wait until there's like a real world house for YouTubers. And they're all living. I mean, I guess that's Team Ten. I mean, but yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe well, that's just the Team Ten house. 
I feel like it's happened before because be- even before Team Ten, Maker had their own house back in the day, where it was just a bunch of people. And they were creating content out of that. Yeah, they. I think I didn't even know that. And there used to be a house that was like very Big Brother, where like it was a group of influencers living in one house, and it was live streamed twenty four seven. Wow. I remember I used to watch a lot of action sports content on Network A, which was an MCN. Yeah. And they had a show called Surf House, which was a bunch of male and female surfers, like, in a rented beach house in Hawaii somewhere. And it was very real world. But it was, like, seven-minute episodes. And this was, like, three or four years ago. Remember yeah. that show? Yeah, AT&T used to they, – they didn't do it this year, but they used to produce a reality show about kids who grew up in Santa Monica – every summer called summer break and it was like half of them were going into the senior year and the other half were going off to college and i don't know why but i was invested the first couple seasons i feel like it's only a matter of time until like buna murray and some of these bigger like reality tv production companies i mean one they'll probably be interested in casting youtubers on some of their shows but I wonder if they will ever actually make a foray into the digital space or well, you know, what was perhaps great about, there's not enough money there. Yeah, what was great about the AT&T show is like it is a reality show, but they don't take any of their social media away. So it was like Got part it. of the episode was them like reactions. It was like, oh, I watched the episode and like and like I subtweeted this girl. So I think if reality shows like stopped doing that where – on traditional TV, they were taking away like their connection to the outside world. I think mm-hmm. that would make for some very interesting TV. I also think in the digital space, like our producers are able to turn things around quicker. Even if you look at Shane Dawson and his like documentary series, yeah. basically about Tanacon. Well, there's uh, that just comes down to like less walls to go through. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to like put it through legal. You don't have to do like all of these revisions. I think it's like once Shane is happy with it, then he's happy with it. And what's fun about you know, internet content web series on the internet is because you can do it every week, you can react to the previous episode. You know, one of my favorite shows was Hard Knocks on HBO mm-hmm. um, about football preseason where they pick one team and the episodes come out, Samir, was it every week or? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, every week. And the players, like if a player was like dancing or doing something funny on the previous week's episode, they would be watching it in the next episode. Oh, cool. And a lot of times like, something would go viral and like a late night host would talk about it and then you know they're going to react to it on the next episode. Yeah, that that's also what was kind of great about Terrace House is I think it goes out a few weeks after it's shot in Japan. So sometimes they can go back and watch episodes from the season that they're currently on and be like, oh, this is why this was perceived this way. In the same season, they're yeah. watching stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Okay, so uh, we've gone for about... Let's see. Almost an hour and a half. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Um, well, where can people connect with you? What's the best place for people to reach out, check out your stuff? Probably um, Instagram, which is just at Mylin, M-A-I-L-I-N-H. If you want to uh, read my Twitter, which is most of the time very stupid, it's at Mylin's tweets. And then I do have a YouTube channel. It's linked in my Instagram, but it, I'm trying to get back on with making that content it's hard when you have a full-time job yeah but i think from your history you clearly have a uh, uh history it'll happen over, eventually yeah over overachieving uh from a creative perspective um one last piece of advice inspiration for someone who might be listening to this who is working in target selling cell phones like you were at one point 
if they want to get into I creative mean, endeavors? I my advice always is like whoever you're looking up to most, like who else is in their circle that has that you can have easier access to. Like I said with that Tyler Oakley story, it's like I every influencer that I like knew that I wanted to work with, like I knew who their managers were, I knew what network they were on. Like I just like went out with the intention to like what is my easiest path to them? Because going direct almost never works. There you go. That's good. Do your research. Be good at writing emails, which I think you are. Yeah. Crafting yeah. good email. So look up look up how to write yeah. cold messages. Yep. And don't don't be uh, too much of a fan. Yeah. S- humanize the interaction. See eye to eye. I love that. Find your common ground. I like that a lot. Yeah. All right, Mylan, it's been real. Thanks for having me. All right, that's it this week for the Colin and Samir podcast. The weekend after we recorded this with my Lynn, Crazy Rich Asians debuted at the box office and made it to number one, which is amazing. If you enjoyed our conversation with my Lynn, check her out on Instagram. We've linked that in the description for this episode. Colin and I are on the road right now. If you're listening to this on Monday, the day that this episode airs, we are currently in Portland, Oregon. And we're making our way up to Seattle and then eventually Vancouver, Canada. So if you are anywhere in the Pacific Northwest and want to meet up, we will be creating videos along the way. We'll be recording podcasts and we'd love to meet all you. So send us an email at colinandsamir at gmail.com.